With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. What we need is more common sense. More common sense. You've got to use plain old common sense. Breaking down the world's nonsense. About how American common sense will see us through. With the common sense of Houston. I'm just pro-common sense. For Houston, from Houston. Where is talking about common sense? This is the Jimmy Barrett Show. Brought to you by Viewin.com. Now, here's Jimmy Barrett. Okay, it's Friday, so we got a little of this and a lot of that coming up on the show today. We're going to talk to uh, Representative Steve Toth on the program. He's coming up here in our next segment. Um, we haven't talked to him probably since the last legislative session, state legislative session. The The state legislature is back in session now, uh, with top priorities being, we're told, property tax relief and empowering parents, and those are two very good things. But he also has a bill. Uh, It is a bill that would ban enforcement of certain federal laws regulating gas stoves. It's a preemptive strike, I guess, for those who would like to take your gas range away. So we'll get into that with him when we talk to him. Also, uh, you may have heard that the verdict came in. Not a verdict, although it'll be interesting to see how long, once they do have a trial, how long it takes the verdict to come in. I, uh, the prosecutors have finally charged uh, actor Alec Baldwin with involunt- two counts of involuntary manslaughter in that shooting death of uh, one of the, the workers on his, um, his is it a television show or a movie? I can't remember. Rust is the name of the program. It's a Western. He shot the gun, and a woman was killed. She was pregnant. That Thus the two charges for involuntary manslaughter. We've got uh, trial attorney Lynn McCraw coming up. Uh, also, a little bit later in the hour to talk about all that. All right. Before we get into any of that, though, little news of the day. Did you see that the Supreme Court cannot figure out who leaked the decision that ended up overturning Roe v. Wade? Remember that came out? Justice Alito's opinion, a draft of his opinion, was leaked to the media. And they've been trying to figure out, supposedly they've been trying to figure out ever since, who could be responsible? Who who could have done that? But as it turns out, they evidently have not been able to find out who did it. Which, of course, makes you wonder whether or not it's really an inside job. And it, I mean, it always, I always thought it was an inside job. The court's marshal, her name is Gail Curley, oversaw the inquiry. It's a 20-page report. Investigators conducted 126 formal interviews 
of 97 employees, all of whom denied being the source of the leak. But several employees acknowledged that they had told their spouses or partners about the draft opinion and the vote count in violation of the court's confidentiality rules. So, if that's the case, if you've got 97 employees and a fraction of them know what the the opinion is going to be and they tell somebody in their family and that somebody in the family leaks it, I mean, that could be the source of it, I suppose. Or maybe they're protecting their own. It's hard to imagine that they can't pin this down and figure this out. Leak was published by Politico in May. Statement soon after Chief Justice John Roberts confirming the authenticity of the draft opinion. This is the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. But said it did not represent the final version and announced an investigation. But that's the conclusion. They can't figure it out. Wouldn't you think with all the resources of the United States government, if they wanted to find out, they could? You would think. So so here's the bottom line, I guess. Unless, unless they're going to pursue this further, that's the end of it. Whoever is responsible remains employed and without any punishment. Huh. That's, that doesn't seem like a very satisfactory ending to the whole thing, does it? But it is. That's, that's just the way it's going to be, I guess. All right. Here's something else to consider as we go through our day today. Um, the CDC. Do you trust the Center for Disease Control? I mean, if you if you trusted them before COVID, did the way COVID was handled, does that change your opinion? And for a lot of people, the answer is yes. Any recommendation I would get now from the CDC, I would probably ignore it. I wouldn't pay any attention to it because they just bungled the whole COVID thing. And it clearly became a political football. And it really wasn't about saving American lives or any of that other stuff. It, it, it was about the agenda as it related to COVID. And I think to a certain extent, selling vaccines. Selling the idea of vaccines, selling vaccines themselves, helping Pfizer and these other drug companies make money. In return, I would assume for some financial consideration. At least in my mind, that's what happened. So the CDC, the people are saying, listen, people don't trust them anymore. Uh, They need to be reformed and revamped. Greg Gutfeld with a hilarious take on that from his show last night. A think tank agrees with me, saying the CDC needs a full reset because it no longer can be trusted to handle global pandemics. Hell, at this point, it can't be trusted to handle an outbreak of dandruff or athlete's foot. I wouldn't trust them to cure disco fever. And yet they call everything a health threat from racism to climate change. According to them, anything that they don't like could be a health risk. How convenient is that? I'm surprised they aren't demanding warning labels on Republicans. And yet they miss the things that are killing us by the millions. No wonder the obesity epidemic has gotten out of control. The Center for Strategic and International Studies, or CIVIS, states the CDC has entered a moment of peril and has suffered a sharp decline in popular trust and confidence. But wait, are we talking about the CDC or just about everything these days? That one line could apply to every major institution. But it's true, the CDC's handling of COVID really put it on the map. The same way JFK's assassination put Dealey Plaza on the map. 
Yeah, it is a stretch. The report also suggests it needs to change how it collects data and be more flexible with its budget. Wow, that's brilliant. That's like saying Jeffrey Dahmer's problem was his choice of condiments. <laughs> the report adds a CDC reset is a matter of national security. The leadership needs to prove its head is fully in the reform game, but true power to change lies at the White House, which means they want the CDC to move its headquarters from Atlanta to D.C. And why? So Joe Biden could screw it up from the comfort of his own acorn sterilift? <laughs> A move to Washington only makes sense if you think carjacking is a great way to meet strangers. <laughs> the CDC. Uh, I don't know how you fix it at this point. I really don't. You know, it, it's once you lose trust. It, 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 you know, one of the best points he made that whole little monologue he did is, isn't this pretty much the way we feel about all government institutions now? Is there any government institution you, you trust? I mean, fill in the blank. The government the, the the part of the government I trust, or the department of the government I trust, I think it would take you a long time to come up with one. And you might not be able to come up with one. All right, uh, we'll get State Rep Steve Toth in here to talk about his uh, bill to protect your gas stove coming up next here on AM 950 KPRC. cooking dinner tonight but our next guest i think he's cooking with gas that would be uh representative steve toth who has a bill yet to be is that right uh, representative toth yet to be entitled you don't have a title yet for the bill we are calling it (laughs) i i have a suggestion well quick let me give the suggestion before you tell me what you what you're calling it how about the steve toth is feeling gassy bill no we're calling it the free range act (laughs) <laughs> that's better that's that's much better than mine that's much more that's yeah, much more yeah. creative ah, mine free... sounds like i had too many beans for lunch so. <laughs> the free range act i love it so tell me yeah, yeah. is this is this been written yet is this just a proposal we, we um, have we have written it we have written it and we have filed it as soon as i heard that was coming down we draft it right away Okay. We, say- couldn't get counsel, we couldn't get legislative counsel to draft it. They're so backed up. We actually pulled in an attorney, took a bill, drafted it, filed it within a couple hours. Okay, so when you say when you heard it was coming down, does that mean that you are, are, are certain that there, that this regulation is going to be coming down for the federal government if, if at some point in time? You know, here's here's the thing. <clears throat> when the government promises, when the government says they're coming after you, believe them. They've said that they want to come after gas stoves, which eventually they're going to expand that. They're going to eventually expand that to gas ovens too. And so if they say that, guys, believe them. They I mean, they're not they're not kidding around because this here's what Jimmy, here's what this is really all about. This is, this is total BS to say this is about pollution and pollutants in the air. We've never heard the CDC. We've never heard the FDA. We've never heard any health organization say, geez, gas gas stoves are are a problem. This is all coming from the feds. This is all about moving us all completely to electric so that all of our appliances are smart appliances. Now, we heard stories, right, during the freeze about about people coming home 
and they thought that their their heat was set to 72 degrees, and they come in and they find that their heat has dropped down to 62 degrees, and then then they look at their eye, eye thermostat, and they realize, oh wow, someone set someone turned that thing down because I've got it set to 72, and yet I walk in and it's 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 been bumped down to 62. Um, if you have Wi-Fi enabled thermostats on your wall, my office has heard from hundreds of people that their thermostats drop. We're hearing about it all over the United States. This is what they want to do with smart appliances. They want to control our lives. Okay, so they've got to push back. They want the ability, if, 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 if they don't want you to be able to cook tonight, they can just very easily make it so that your electric stove won't work. Gas they can't control. So, so they, that's why they want. They can't control that. That that's why they want to get rid of gas. Nothing to do with the EPA. Nothing to do with pollution. Nothing to do with any fumes that a gas stove may be giving off inside of your home. None of that stuff. But Jimmy, think about this a second. You know, you've got Gavin Newsom in California that's pushing California, which is one out of ten cars in California are are EVs. They're electric vehicles. And even now, Californians are being told, "Don't charge your cars." Because our grid can't handle it. The grid can't handle it, even with 1 in 10, and yet you've got Gavin Newsom saying that by 2035 or whatever, they want 90% of their cars on the road to be EVs. The, the grid can't handle it. You, the, grid can't handle, the grid can't handle just moving our, all of our gas stoves to electric. These people are trying to destroy our nation. They're trying to bring us... To our knees. Okay, so this is. Go ahead. So, so how can the state? What can the state do? This is the federal government here. Can can, can state law supersede federal law and federal regulations? It, it can in this regard. So, you've got the supremacy clause, right? And the supremacy clause states, and the supremacy clause is in complete and total um, violation of the Tenth Amendment, which the Tenth Amendment says that states have sovereignty and that the, the, the authorities and powers delegated to the federal government, and this is what it says in the Federalist Papers, are few and limited, they're few and defined. That is which is not defined and is left up to the states. But we don't follow the Tenth Amendment anymore because states, every time they have a question, they go to the courts rather than just exercising the Tenth, which is really stupid on their part. So you've got the Supremacy Clause, but the Supremacy Clause is really clear in this regard. The Supremacy Clause only deals with federal law. So if the EPA or any of these nut jobs in the Biden administration try and say, you can't have a gas stove, screw you, sorry. Yes, you can. Um, yes, you can. This is state law. State law supersedes executive orders. Okay. So what about places that sell gas stoves? Do they have a decision to make as far as whether or not they are going to follow whatever federal mandate there may be or whether or not they're going to follow Texas state law? How does that work? They can make a they can make a choice if they want if they want to have a if they want to be pinheaded and only send, sell electric stoves, let them sell electric stoves and go out of business. But any anyone that likes to cook like I do, um, you want to cook with gas. And uh, I don't want to cook with electric. I cook with gas. It, it's immediate, and it's, it, um, it's better dispersion of heat over the bottom of the pan. Um, I'm not going to cook with electric. I'm going to cook with a gas stove, even if I've got to walk into a secondhand place and buy a beat-up crappy one. I'm going to cook with a gas stove. 
but no one wants to do that. So we need to pass some legislation in the state of Texas to protect families, not just about this is, gosh, this is so far beyond cooking, how you cook. This is about protecting our liberties so that the federal government cannot get control over our lives. I'm going to guess there's a, a great deal of support for this in the state legislature. You don't anticipate any problems getting this passed, do you? I always anticipate problems being passed <laughs> in the Texas legislature. <laughs> I, I really do, Jimmy. I mean, we, we've only, we're only there for 140 days once every two years. The first 60 days, we're not allowed to pass any legislation. We only have 80 days. That's it, 80 days to pass two years' worth of legislation. We pass more legislation, Texas does. We pass more legislation in 80 days than any other any other red state does in the United States. Well, I but think that's hard. Was, I think as far as the founding fathers of the state, I think that was part of the idea, wasn't it? To to to, it to absolutely it absolutely was. Let's make it sure that was. let's make sure that we only pass things that are truly important, and let's get it done in, in you know quickly and efficiently. And then get the heck out of Dodge. You're exactly right. Or in this case, Austin. All right. Um, yeah. While we got you, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the legislative season that you just started to talk about here. I think the governor and lieutenant governor seem to be pretty much on the same page is what the priorities are, property tax relief and empowering parents. Yes, yes. So the, the, the key thing this session um, that they're talking about right now is, is parental choice. And unfortunately, there's some some there's some conservative groups out there that are sowing distrust and and dissent. There, I, my wife got a liber, got a letter last night from Young Americans for, for Liberty saying that Dan Patrick is trying to kill school choice. That's a complete and total lie. Dan Patrick is working hard to give us parental choice in the state of Texas, and it's going to be universal parental choice. He's a champion of it. Unfortunately, there are some bad groups out there that are spreading lies. And uh, we're gonna work hard on parental choice this session. We're all on board with this. We're gonna follow the governor's lead. And uh, we're not leaving Austin without school choice. I'm telling you, I have, I have every reason to believe that this is either gonna be an emergency item by the governor, or it's gonna be something that's added to every special session. And if we have to be here for two years of special session, we're gonna give parents the right to decide where their kids go to school. All right. Keep yes, fighting sir. the good fight, Representative Choth. Always good to talk to you, sir. Great to hear your voice, Jimmy. Take care. That is uh, Steve Choth, State Representative. Back with more in a moment. Jimmy Barrett Show here on AM 950 KPRC. So I'm guessing by now you've probably heard that uh, actor Alec Baldwin is facing two counts of involuntary manslaughter in the shooting death of one of his co-workers on the set of Rust. Um, the worker was shot with a, a, a prop gun that evidently was loaded. Um, you know, Alec Baldwin's done a lot of interviews on this. Um, the prosecutors took their sweet time deciding they were going to bring charges. I want to. We're going to bring on a, a trial attorney by the name of Lynn McGraw coming up next. Uh, we want to talk to Lynn McGraw about this, but first... Uh, I want him to hear this, too. This is, in, in, in case he hasn't heard it, this is uh, Alec Baldwin on ABC um, telling telling George Stephanopoulos that he didn't pull the trigger, and then uh, Judge Jeanine Pirro, along with the New Mexico prosecutors in this case. Take a listen. I didn't pull the trigger. So you never pulled the trigger? No, 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 no. I, I would never point a gun at anyone and pull a trigger at them, never. 
We definitely believe he pulled the trigger. Um, the, the FBI lab report confirms that, so definitely the trigger was pulled. All right, so his statement is not correct under any circumstance. Uh, we don't believe it is. Mr. Baldwin had a duty at, at the base level to never hold a gun and point it at a person while pulling the trigger. But he also had a duty um, as an actor and a producer on that set to have the bullets checked or to check them himself to make sure that they weren't live. We believe Baldwin as a producer knows everything that goes on on this set. And so, there, yeah, there was a lot of problems. There was a lot of, uh, there were a couple accidental discharges. Um, there was a lot of safety concerns that were brought to the attention of management and and he did nothing about it so um, there were just this was a, a loose and reckless um, scene where safety was compromised um, just to save money you know we we looked at this case for a long time and and sure there's a lot of media attention and Alec Baldwin's an A-list actor but again we were just looking at the facts of the case and um, again Alec Baldwin he is an A-list actor and, and there's a lot of you know uh, hype around all that but he isn't above the law you know we don't feel public pressure we, we, we're prosecutors uh, we're, we're doing the right thing and what the, the facts support and we believe it supports involuntary manslaughter did Baldwin cooperate Yes, he cooperated in that he did willingly turn over his phone after some negotiations with his lawyers. All right, let's bring on an attorney. His name is Lynn McCraw. Uh, he's with McCraw Law Group. Uh, Lynn, welcome to the program here on AM 950 KPRC. Um, let's start with this. Let me let me get a little bit of your background. Is your specialty more in the prosecution side of things or the defense side of things? My... my, uh, my the, the specialty I have is in, is in personal injury. So I deal with this most of the time from the standpoint of the civil action, but I grew up as a young lawyer doing everything. And I did, I did do some criminal defense early in my career. This is the kind of case that, that touches on both criminal and civil aspects. I mean, there, were, there was a claim that, uh, that the victim's family filed against Mr. Baldwin in the civil matter that has already been settled. Uh, but but you can have both a civil and criminal claim, and very often we see situations in which one affects the other. So yeah, that's, that's fairly common. Usually, though, don't don't we usually see a criminal case before we see a civil case? Again, it depends upon it depends upon the individual case. I see that often often. Uh, there are times that that I'll have a a civil situation that will that will occur. And, uh, and a criminal situation, and we will use the evidence that's developed in the criminal case to help us in the civil case. But the same thing can happen in reverse, and it does. It happens sometimes. Sometimes we can get discovery that the, that the criminal, that the uh, district attorney can't get, and other times they can get information that we can't get. So it's, oh. uh, it, it's one of those situations that, yeah. that it just depends upon the individual situation. Absolutely. What? Tell me a little bit about involuntary manslaughter. Under the law, what does that mean to commit involuntary manslaughter? What would need to be proven to find him guilty of something like that? Okay. Now, now you've got to understand that every state's a little different. New Mexico, uh, to, to convict him of involuntary manslaughter, you're going to have to show that there, that there was a negligent act that killed another. But it's more than simple negligence. It's criminal negligence. And in New Mexico, they've defined criminal negligence as being an actual or imputed foreseeability of, of danger to the person that was killed. Okay, so you've got to be able to see that something like this could have happened. Okay, and very clearly here, you're going to have foreseeability. That's not going to be really the issue. 
The other issue is that there has to be a substantial and unjustifiable risk of harm. Okay, this is one of the areas in which uh, the prosecutors in New Mexico, um, you, know, you know, really have uh, uh, they've got this standard of proof that is that it's higher than we have typically in the civil case, but it's not as high as it would be in other states. Uh, for instance, here in Texas. Uh, the uh, the standard is even higher than that. We have to show uh, gross negligence. We have to show an entire warrant of care to prove criminal negligence in Texas. But in New Mexico, it's just simply a little bit lower. It's, it's, we have to show a substantial and unjustifiable risk. That's where the prosecutors uh, are hanging their hat, and that is where I believe this case will, will turn on the involuntary manslaughter charge. Okay, because there's two things that strike me about the story. Number one is you, you're working under assumption that because you're on a movie set, I'm, I'm working under the assumption, I would think, that Alec Baldwin would think that the gun that he had in his hand wasn't loaded with real ammunition. That's one aspect of it. But another aspect of it is is anybody who has ever trained with firearms or is a responsible firearm owner would tell you whether you think it's empty or not, you never point a gun at another person and pull the trigger unless you intend to Absolutely. kill them. There's, there's, a, there's a, a very significant risk any time that you, that you point a gun at someone, whether you think it's loaded or not. Uh, and as any gun owner will tell you, uh, you know, a- absolutely we treat every, every firearm like it's loaded until we absolutely know that it's not. Yeah. Uh, and, and part of the, the issue here is, you know, this happened in New Mexico. New Mexico is very similar to Texas in that, that it is a, a state in which many, many people uh, have firearms and practice firearm safety. So they're, they're going to know, this jury is going to know. Uh, it's not going to be a foreign concept to them that, that anybody that takes a handgun has to check it and make sure that, that, that it's not loaded. Yeah, because it, it, it seems, you know, from, from the reports that you see, um, you, can tell, you can tell when you're talking to somebody who has some background in firearms and don't, it, it's especially in the media, because of the types of questions they're asking and the type of reaction they have, um, because it, it seems that Alec Baldwin's getting most of his sympathy from people who pretty clearly don't have a firearms background. I'd say that's very true. Yeah. So if People he, if he, if he, yeah. if he were to be convicted for involuntary manslaughter, what sort of a penalty comes along with that? Well, in, in New Mexico, they have a base penalty for the, now they've, they've charged him with two different charges. One is uh, involuntary manslaughter and the other is involuntary manslaughter with the, in the commission of a lawful act. Uh, the second charge, I understand, carries a mandatory minimum sentence of five years, but uh, but that's one that that I've been looking at. Most a lot of folks are saying that might be overcharging. That might be a way so the prosecutors can fall back to a to basic involuntary manslaughter. The basic involuntary manslaughter carries a punishment range of 18 months. That can be uh, adjusted by the judge up to a third, up or down, and it can be. Uh, probated or referred by the judge. The interesting thing about this particular case is because it's, there's the use of the firearm, there's an additional enhancement that mandates a mandatory one-year sentence for uh, involuntary slaughter involving the use of the gun. So there would be a mandatory one-year plus whatever the judge puts on top of it if he is convicted. And again, that conviction is going to it's going to turn around the issue, uh, in my mind, on whether or not we have a substantial and unjustifiable risk to meet that criminal mechanism. 
uh, it's going to be a, a very uh, interesting case to watch. It's going to, uh, Mr. Baldwin is, has uh, some significant uh, liability here, some significant uh, risk, and uh, his criminal defense attorneys are going to, uh, they're going to have their hands full of the case, I think. I'm assuming, uh, Mr. McGraw, that um, finding a jury in a case like I'm assuming it's going to be a jury trial, but finding a jury in a case like this that's so high profile and involves somebody who's who's nationally famous, that, that's going to be hard to pick a jury on something like that, isn't it? It, it sure is. Uh, anytime you have somebody that is well-known, it, it, it complicates uh, finding a jury. Uh, one of the things that, that, that I've seen over my lifetime and over my career is anytime you're dealing with people that ha- that are more high profile, uh, folks tend to think that they know them. And, and when they think that they know somebody, uh, they will kind of uh, already put their any evidence that they see will go through the filter of how they already think about that particular person. So it's uh, in most high profile cases, it's it's a lot harder to get convictions in high profile cases because most it is. you know that they already have an idea of what they think Alan Baldwin is like. They don't think of him as a criminal. They don't think of him as uh, somebody that's reckless and 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 dangerous and and you know an ongoing danger to anybody. That is going to be the, the prosecutor's, uh, uh, that's going to be a very difficult burden on the prosecutor. And I think that's one of the reasons that Mr. Baldwin has been fairly aggressive in getting out and getting his story out and, and talking to the, to the media. Most of the time, most criminal defense attorneys are going to tell their clients, don't ever talk to the media. Don't ever get your story out. Don't do that because you potentially create evidence that can be used against you. But in situations where you have higher profile people, uh, if you can get out in front of a story, you can affect that narrative because they already see you through a certain filter. Yeah. People already see you that way. I think that's what we see going on in this case. That makes sense to me. Uh, Lynn, thank you so much for joining me today. Appreciate all the great information. Take care. All right. Thank you. You bet. That's attorney Lynn McCraw. He's at the McCraw Law Group. Joining us here on AM 950 KPRC, Jimmy Baird Show. We'll be back with more in just a moment. All right, welcome back. Jimmy Baird Show here on AM 950 KPRC. Oh, did you hear we, re- we reached the, uh, the debt limit yesterday? That's what they said anyway. So has your life changed? Have, uh, has the United States reneged on any bills? No, not yet. Um, I, will, I will give the media a, a, a tiny bit of credit. They haven't been doing as many of the usual horror stories when you get into run the dead limit. Maybe they finally figured out that you know, it's, like, uh, you know, it's like Chicken Little and the sky is falling. And the people aren't going to buy the idea that the sky is falling anymore as it relates to uh, the government shutting down and you're not getting a Social Security check or all the other things they, they, they try to fearmonger about the debt limit. Democrats are the ones who like to fearmonger about it because here's what they want. They want Republicans to go along. Just go along with these higher budgets. That's why they passed that $1.7 trillion omnibus bill before the new Congress could take over because they knew once the House got into the control of the Republicans that 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 was never going to pass. So they rammed that sucker through. They rammed it through. And the only way at this point to try to bargain 
to 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 spend less money with the government is through this through the debt ceiling because the the, de- at the when you reach the debt ceiling it doesn't mean that there's no income coming in and you can't pay your bills it just means that something's going to have to get cut either some things are going to have to get cut or something or, or things will shut down so what this forces congress to do is to decide on things that they need to cut and with the kind of bloated surplus of spending we have going on it really shouldn't be that hard to to cut some budgets now here's here's what they threaten to do though they threaten to well we're going to cut the military or we're going to we're going to we're going to cut social security we're going to in other words they threaten with things that you really need and not with the fat so this i hope is going to force some negotiations although the white house says they're not going to negotiate Theoretically, it should force some negotiations so we can hopefully take care of, of, of some of these things that we're spending way too much money on. Uh, but we are, the debt ceiling, by the way, last was raised December of 21 to $31.4 trillion. So we have exceeded, or we are now at or exceeding $31.4 trillion in debt. I realize a trillion doesn't mean much to most people because it's hard to fathom. It's such a big number, but it's hard. It's just, oh, trillion, what does that mean? $34.1 trillion. How in the world can we ever hope to repay that? How How will we ever repay that if we don't start whittling down the federal budget? We have got to stop. All this spending. And what we need to start doing is working. <laughs> um, I've heard a lot of talk lately about work and work ethic and Gen Zers. And, and listen, I, I, I do not wish to participate in putting down an entire generation of individuals. I will not do that. Because I'm sure there are Gen Zers who do want to work. I'm sure there are plenty of Gen Zers out there that at some point in time are going to want to work. There are plenty of people who don't. I mean, we're, we're, we've been seeing that for a long, long time. We see that in the amount of job openings that we had that went unfulfilled of people who just didn't want to fulfill job. We see that in quiet quitting or, in some cases, not so quiet quitting because we made it too easy to not work. Well, there's two things here. We made it too easy to not work, and we have large numbers of people who get no satisfaction from working. That's To me, that's the biggest problem. It's one thing to be lazy and for the government to give you so much money that you don't have to work, but even, even if you are extremely lazy and unmotivated and you can make it by on forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a year in benefits that you're getting from the federal government, the, the question becomes, where's your ambition? Is, is that your goal? Was your goal to just get by? Was your goal to, to have somebody else take care of you and just get by? Do you not have any interest in things in the field of work? Because that might be the biggest problem. If you don't really enjoy what you do, you're not very motivated to do it. Bill Bennett was on uh, Fox, when was this, yesterday? the former education secretary, here's what he said about the virtues of work. 
work is, a, is, a, is an incredibly important thing. Uh, Justice Holmes said once, uh, the man who's missed the pleasure of work of a job well done, completed and finished has missed one of the great pleasures of life. Uh, but we have demeaned work. Uh, we had the COVID problem, and then a lot of people got used to staying home and not working. We have seven and a half million men in this country, age 25 to 55, able-bodied, who are not looking for work. What are they doing? Uh, they're uh, watching the screen all day, not your screen, uh, but uh, other things, video games, a lot of it, a lot of them are on drugs, no interest in working. You used the phrase before, government inflates. You're absolutely right. But in this case, Larry, I think government deflates uh, aspiration uh, because some of these folks are living on these subsidies from government, which can get up into the 40s, 50s and $60,000 range. That can deflate the interest in work. Plus, if we don't teach how important work is Mm. to self-respect, to happiness, um, uh, to family, uh, we're not teaching what we're supposed to. You know, I had a great example in my life when it comes to work ethic because my father worked two jobs his entire life. Part of that was he was a depression kid, grew up in the Depression, and um, he wanted his family to do better. And one of his jobs, main job, was a teacher. and doesn't pay all that much. But a lot of it was just... A work ethic, you know, of, of, of wanting, not only wanting to work, but enjoying what he did. And I've been lucky enough to enjoy what I do for a living. And there's a lot of people who think that what I do is not really work. And you know what? It isn't really work. Um, I just get paid to do it. But it, it's, it, that's the key. Find what you really love and find out how to make money with it. If we could get back to more people finding that, they'd be happy to work because it wouldn't feel like work. All right. I'm not working tomorrow. I'm not working Sunday. I'll work Monday. I'll see you then. Have yourself a great weekend. See you Monday morning, bright and early, 5 a.m. on KTRH. We're back here at 4 on AM 950 KTRC. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.